AHA Process webinar podcast series. In this installment, Bonnie Bazada discusses ending poverty as an economic goal. Great. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome, and I'm just delighted to have a chance to to share this work with you today and, um, and specifically to sort of uh, contextualize the work I'm doing now in Pima County, Arizona, around the frame of economic development. So um, let's, let's talk about what is the link between poverty and economic development. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the work I did in South Bend, but to cut to the chase here, um, what I really began to see was that we needed to put a new frame on this conversation on poverty. Otherwise, we weren't going to be able to get as, as much traction and investment in the community as we could. So. I often start my presentations with this slide where I say, you know, the irony is that poverty is expensive. It's expensive on an individual level, clearly. And I, you know, I even have some slides that show that people in poverty pay 6% more for their toilet paper. Um, I found a research paper with an interesting math equation that actually proves that. Um, but here in this context, we're talking about the community. And poverty puts a, a drain on our resources, right? We, we can see that we have to divert a certain amount of our resources to helping people. The deeper people are in poverty, the greater we need those resources. Um, a homeless person, for example, you know, needs far more resources to get to that stability than somebody who might be in the working poor category. But all of those resources put, put a strain on our community. It wastes human potential. You know, it locks up... Um, all of those gifts that somebody has, those gifts and talents that they can bring forward, you know, if you don't get that high school de degree or that GED, uh, you're, there's a good chance you're not going to be able to tap into all of that. I often say, you know, the child who's got the cure for Zika or cancer or something else, if they're growing up in poverty, the chances are um, those gifts don't come forward. And we all know in our um, work with Bridges Out of Poverty and Getting Ahead how much it impacts the next generation and the next generation. And so it makes it a harder climb every generation to be able to move to stability. And at the heart of our work, of course, is about relationships. And we know how much this creates divide in our community, the lack of bridging social capital, the lack of relationships. And so I often say we cannot have sustainability in our community if we are not addressing poverty. And I'm all for all of the green initiatives that are happening now. Those are all very critical and very important. But my belief is that if we're not including poverty uh, in that frame of sustainability, then those efforts will have serious limitations. And so it's interesting, Pinellas County, and I keep saying I'm going to make a connection with them in Florida, uh, wrote a report. Any of this uh, that I mentioned today that people are interested in, I'd be glad to send the reports to you to take a look at. But they took on an effort to really measure the impact of poverty for their community. And these, this is what they came up with for their county, an annual cost of $2.5 billion. And these were some of the areas that they looked at, product, productivity, um, health expenditures, the cost of crime. And um, uh, and that's what we want to do in Pima County. We are going to uh, launch an impact study so we can figure out what is a way we can calculate the actual cost of poverty to our community. Because if we can put that in front of the community in dollars and cents and in, 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 in justifiable numbers, 
um, to show how significant the impact is, then perhaps we can also um, gather the, the the political and economic will to to make some bigger changes. This is another from Pinellas County. It it really begins to build the link between poverty and the impact on poverty. Right, the the poor health. Um, uh, and, and when I do my uh, bridges work, I've now developed some slides on the impact of stress and instability and scarcity on people's body, brains, and behavior, and um, some very powerful work that's coming out in that area. And so this conversation really makes that link between poverty, the poor health that it creates, and erodes over time, which creates a less able workforce. Um, which decreases our human capital and lowers our economic output. So that's a very powerful conversation to have that perhaps frames this um, frames this up in a different way. I'm always trying to capture the the ear of the business community and our and our business leaders because we know that they're going to bring new thinking and resources to the table. So if we can really make this link between poverty and um, the impact on our labor force, and particularly going forward as we have baby boomers retiring and uh, fewer people entering the um, workforce, the, the, the more we need to have um, uh, capable and prepared, both in terms of education and health and, and all of it. Um, so when I was working in South Bend, you know, I love the Bridges definition of poverty because it moves us past this very artificial and static understanding of the poverty threshold that is generally looked to that government has created understandably so that we can measure uh, whether people qualify or don't qualify for different programs but we know it's one artificially low two the formula doesn't make sense anymore and three you know it, it sort of masks the number of people in our country who are um, feeling unstable who are feeling under resourced certainly this election is some indicator of that. Um, I often talk about uh, a couple of different studies that were done recently, but one that said 47% of Americans could not find $400 in an emergency. That's a pretty staggering number. And so I talk about the fact that, you know, we can't th just think about moving people out of poverty. We really need to think about moving people to stability. And for all intents and purposes, there's different ways to come up with a number, but I think 200% of poverty is probably the safest way to think about that. And so we know that as people start to move across this bridge, they hit all kinds of problems. They hit a benefits cliff where, you know, they might get that raise at work and then suddenly lose some portion of their benefits, whether that's food stamps or child care or whatever, um, and they get in a kind of trough of getting and losing jobs. You know, when you're under-resourced, it's easier to get a job than keep a job. I love the book that AHOP um, publishes called Why Don't They Get Just Get a Job that really uh, puts a good lens on that. So we really need to think about how do we address this whole bridge? How do we help people uh, keep moving across to a point of um, greater stability for themselves and their families. And so just a little bit of background. Um, I had the honor of starting this work in 2004 when I was working at St. Mary's College, and then we launched our own nonprofit called the St. Joe County Bridges Out of Poverty Initiative in 2008, and I got to be the executive director um, for those first seven years. 
We There's our mission statement. So even then we were thinking about this sustainability piece and how we frame this as about a quality of life for everyone in the entire community. Um, and we did lots of great things. We had over 850 people go through Getting Ahead. Um, lots of professionals that we trained. We developed programs like our financial management class, which, by the way, um, you can get that from the South Bend site still. Um, Michiana Bridges, which is our employer resource network that I'll talk about a little bit in a minute. Our leadership program and, um, and loved working both regionally and nationally. And so learned a lot, and it was really from that deep work that we did there that I began to see the need for this economic development frame. Did some consulting back in Pima County and was both shocked and delighted when they wrote uh, a chapter in their economic development plan that they passed a, a little more than a year ago um, that launched the Ending Poverty Now initiative. So here is a county, the first that I know of in the country, that named and claimed poverty as an economic development issue and said we have to pull some strategies together um, and begin thinking of this uh, in a bigger frame and and named getting ahead and some of the bridges ideas and approaches in that particular chapter so i had the good fortune of being hired in as the first program manager for this work and you can see here um, they the county also has a 10-year economic development plan that this um, feathers into and we're under their human infrastructure um, division and the and Pima County really has done a lot of very visionary and progressive things in my mind that um, goes well beyond what counties often do. Um, unfortunately in St. Joe County our county uh, had kind of a limited scope of what it did. It, oftentimes it's more land use and you know maybe some uh, business development that kind of thing but in Pima County, the frame is much larger, and you can see some of it there, including workforce training and education. And in fact, my initiative is under the Community Services Employment and Training Division, so that we are speaking whenever we are working with getting ad graduates. We want to talk to them about the resources we have at our one stop and how we can help them move not just to employment, but you know, to think of that bigger picture, that longer term of stackable certificates, of college, of training and of a career. Um, so there's our one stop. Uh, if you come visit us, that's where my office is. Um, and again, you know, we provide lots of workforce development, um, including, interestingly, a, an entire program that's devoted to employment for homeless people. Um, we also have a GED program that is combined with a very innovative tile art program. So there's a way that um, those students get soft skills training and workplace um, experience, as well as our Pima Vocational High School, which the name implies a, a vocational focus for those students. Both of those youth programs very much um, providing pathways for what would, is now being called opportunity youth, kids that are really at risk for um, underemployment and uh, a lack of education. So a neat division for us to be doing this work out of. And you know what I tell everybody is, um, you know, always the Bridges approach is an additive approach, right? We know that we want to put more tools in the toolboxes of getting head graduates in our own organizational um, toolboxes and thinking. But also in this work, what I talk about is oftentimes we are really treating poverty from with social service sector tools, right? Great tools, case management, utility assistance, uh, parenting skills, lots of good things 
but not enough tools, and that we have to widen our toolbox to include all these other sectors that can bring in strategies and resources and then think about how we link those. But certainly for this conversation, it's really about employer tools and, and, and economic development tools. You know, Phil often talks about the four approaches to addressing poverty, prevention, alleviating suffering, aiding the transition, and addressing structures. So when I present this, I ask the audience, where in your community does the majority of effort go? And I've yet to do it and not have the majority of people tell me it's number two, alleviating suffering. Um, and we're compassionate, caring communities, and it makes sense that we develop lots of responses to that, but we know that's not enough to get people moved out of poverty, that we've got to think better, just as our getting ahead graduates do, what do we have in the getting by category, what do we put into that getting ahead category, and begin thinking as collectively and as a community about um, how we really uh, put more resources behind aiding that transition. So, um, you know, this is a Joseph Campbell quote, right? If you want to change the world, change the metaphor. So this is a piece from our um, uh, ending or our economic development plan for the Ending Poverty Now chapter, which ironically is chapter 13. But I love this. Um, by changing our perspective and our actions, we can look at each person caught in poverty as a potential asset in the economic development of our reach region and move from managing poverty to ending it. So I often say people in poverty get very good at managing it. It take managing poverty, tenacious, creative, determined, and then we just help them manage it with the resources that we have. So how do we shift to that conversation on ending it? And we can only do that if we see people in poverty as this asset to, to be um, tapped into and developed and, and, and brought to the table. So making that shift from a problem or problem orientation that's supposed to say resource orientation. Um, there's um, our, our county administrator, Mr. Huckleberry, Chuck Huckleberry, who was presenting this information at a um, countywide uh, uh, presentation that we had back in early October. Phil Duvall was here, and uh, we had about 200 community leaders in the room who really were starting to hear this message and get excited. And, and one of the charges in this Ending Poverty Now effort is to move toward being able to articulate a set of core policies related to all of these aspects of things that, that touch poverty. Um, you know, I love Phil's community sustainability grid. I use it all the time um, as a way to talk about how we've got to build effort out across this entire grid, not just in the sector of individual behavior, maybe a little inhuman and social capital, and getting the grid to talk to each other. So the people doing policy and structure are talking to, to the wonderful people who have boots on the ground um, up in the other individual and organizational corner. Um, there's uh, Phil and some other people from that event. That There's Ramon Valadez, one of our county supervisors, who emceed the event. Uh, very exciting. So let me tell you a little bit. Let me dig in a little bit into what is in my um, bailiwick for this work. If I can kind of boil it down to nine things. We're, we're out there doing trainings. We know we've got to change our thinking. We're using Getting Ahead extensively. Now we've, um, uh, I'll mention some of our partners in a minute, but that work was happening before I came on board from Pio Decimo and 
Amphi School District and some other wonderful partners out there, but we're wanting to grow that. I think next year we'll have three to 500 graduates coming through the program. Um, I'm going to talk to you about how we are wanting to embed getting ahead in a bigger picture, so how we can support um, graduates and learn with them as they begin to move ahead. I'll mention the Employer Resource Network, which some of you may already be familiar with. We're exploring using Getting Ahead While Getting Out with a really robust um, second chance and reentry community here, and so seeing if that has value. We're partnering with United Way on using um, voluntary income tax assistance, bringing it both to our employees, which the county has over 7,000, as well as to people we serve. Looking at using workplace loans, and I connected with a wonderful national program if people are interested in getting connected there that provide workplace-based emergency loans up to several thousand dollars, very rapid and um, at no cost to the employer. We have an interdepartmental group called the Addressing Poverty Working Group that meets monthly to look at poverty issues across nine or ten uh, county departments getting out of our silos and we're launching that impact study that I mentioned. So really another way to think about this is how do we move beyond managing poverty? Um, we have a really innovative um, faith-based initiatives here led by Linda Leatherman and so she has been out in the community for years building partnerships with the faith community. So we want to build off of that um, network and uh, be able to bring more people into the conversation and work. Um, how do we focus on working families? How do we think about not just jobs, but careers and longer-term career placement? Um, so I want to mention the uh, Employer Resource Network. That's uh, a key part of that particular component. And many of you know of that already, but it's really asking, you know, the question is, how can we pull the community safety net into the workplace, help employees solve problems as rapidly as we can at the work site, and engage employers in understanding their under-resourced employees so that they may be able to bring new tools, new thinking, whether that's in the workplace or the community, so we can help those employees stabilize. Of course, for them, the, the conversation is on retention, and the employer resource networks happening around the country have been able to show substantial retention increases for um, entry-level workers, and um, oftentimes you've, you've got employers' ear at that point. So we've got it now out in three places, and we're building our network here. I already mentioned the Valley Vita program, but I really recommend this. This is such a, um, you know, a powerful program that you can partner with your United Way to bring to people. You know, the Earned Income Tax Credit has been named as one of the most effective programs out there to help move people out of poverty. Um, this is one way that you can do that and, and steer people away from those financial predators that are often taking sizable parts of um, uh, tax returns for, for the working poor. So last year we served 43 taxpayers. It was a small pilot. This year we're hoping that we'll serve 150 to 200. But you can see even with just that number of taxpayers how much impact there is at the community level. 12500 saved in tax preparation fees. Um, almost 60,000 in tax returns, including 20,000 in, in EITC. 
So we're trying to make the case, and maybe this is the heart of it, that poverty is everyone's business, and um, we need to measure it. So that's why we're doing this impact study. Love to share that with you. Maybe that could be a future um, a presentation once we have that process completed. But I think this is so key to be able to make visible and show how poverty impacts our community in dollars and cents. Um, looking for that double win across sectors. Um, the ERN is a great way to bring business community to the table and just in looking at how we can demonstrate a return on investment for our, our efforts. And building that better bridge, you know, how do we um, get more people connected to the resource network? We're looking at how we bundle and coordinate resources. And I may have this on a slide coming up, but I'll mention it very quickly now. Um, for example, we realized in talking with our county constables that we issue four, over 4,000 eviction notices a year to families in Pima County. So that is 4,000 families who are about to uh, you know, be under terrible stress and, and take a deep dive and maybe cost the county a lot more money in you know, being on the streets, hitting the ER, pets that are loose. So we're looking at how can we use that touch through the constables early enough to get information in front of people about how to either avoid the eviction or how to soften the blow of the eviction um, and, and help families at that critical time. So that's just one way that we're sort of looking countywide at what we can do better and create that effectiveness. You know, how do we use our dollars better and smarter? Um, I mentioned, you know, the workplace loans. We're just about to get that off the ground. I'm very excited about it. Um, and uh, the, the company that we're connecting with is called True Connect. Again, I'd be glad to send out information on that. Um, our Dressing Poverty Working Group, I'm excited that we are coming together on a monthly basis. We've looked at um, all kinds of issues around homelessness, um, the impact of, of, of the evictions. Um, uh, we don't have payday lenders here per se, but we have um, title loan companies. Uh, how to get support behind some of the new legislation that's coming out behind that. Um, looking at some of the initiatives that we have here through the health department. So it's been a good way to get um, get us out of our silos and looking together at the problem. And then, of course, key to all of this is engaging people in poverty as experts and as partners, and that's why getting ahead is so important to this. We are building off of the national evaluation tool that was used, and many of you may have contributed to that a few years ago. Um, uh, and um, we're uh, adapting that, and we'll be sure to use that with all of our Getting Ahead partners. We're going to be using Charity Tracker so we can have a good measurement tool at the individual and collective level. And then in a minute, I'll share with you about another aspect of that that we're building in um, so that we can create this dynamic feedback loop to begin informing our leadership about the kind of changes that we could uh, make happen. So I want to mention uh, the Getting Ahead Network that was the number of places, Amphi School District, Pio Decimo, and our St. Vincent de Paul is doing a very dynamic job here. I know St. Vincent de Paul nationally. Kudos to you for uh, using bridges and getting ahead at the national level and pushing it at the local level. Our St. Vincent de Paul is doing really great work um, with the program and that includes a follow-up mentoring aspect. Um, but we're trying to pull all these partners together and begin a network so we can support best practices, that, so that we can do some common um, data sharing, um, so we can share opportunities and look at, you know, how we can build out those next steps, and that um, that will expand next year. 
So one of the things I was tasked with is creating a homegrown model um, and and saying how can we use these ideas and these great ideas but really building it so that it works more powerfully in our community. So what I saw in South Bend with our graduates is, you know, how transformative getting ahead can be in people's lives. But I always say, you know, getting ahead gets people to the starting line. So as we saw in the national evaluation, you know, that it affects people's motivation, self-efficacy, self-reflexivity, hope, future planning, all of those things that are so critical to, to changing the game. But if, you know, a good coach doesn't get your runner to the um, starting line and then walk away and say, you know, send me a postcard at the end of the marathon, we want to figure out how we maintain those relationships. And that was very hard for us because we weren't a case management program. We were education and advocacy. So what we're trying to do here is build a, a model that would allow us to maintain those relationships and create that feedback loop so we can begin learning and um, engaging more of the, the community so that we're building a model that is as efficient to run as we can, that isn't going to require heavy staffing to keep it alive and thriving. So we're trying it in two different ways. Um, we're embedding getting ahead at the GED program that I mentioned that's called Las Artes. It's an arts and education program, and there's Jose Gutierrez, who was a graduate of Las Artes and a graduate of getting ahead in the AmeriCorps program, now getting his bachelor's at the University of Arizona in botany and wanting to get his PhD and um, solve world hunger issues. So um, he, he took a great deal from getting ahead. But we're embedding it there. Um, and uh, is at the beginning of the GED program, and already they're seeing better retention as the students move through the program. And these are students who many have seen tremendous challenges already at this point in their life. They've, they've dealt with family incarceration issues, addiction issues, their parenting. They may have been in and out of jails themselves. They have failed out of several school systems and kids with amazing potential and, um, and tenacity and now being able to use getting ahead more powerfully. These slides are showing some of the tile work that is done by the students and then is, is placed around this community. There's a wonderful um, tile mural that's actually at the Department of Labor of, of Cesar Chavez. So very beautiful stuff that they're doing. Uh, we had Phil there when he was in town for their reception. Um, to welcome him at Las Artes. You'll see on the right-hand side the vision board. So after they graduate the program, they, um, they do a vision board of their past, present, and future. But what we know, and, and this is in Carla Crodel's book, is that 65% of all graduates with a GED say they want to get their uh, associate's degree, and 6% do. So we want to change those numbers. We want to make that... Um, uh, those kids much more successful. So we are putting in place a coaching component. So after they go through the program, we will make available a coaching pod for about probably three to four students at a time with a couple of coaches, probably one from the county with one of our workforce development specialists who really know the education employment opportunities out there, and a volunteer from the community who meets twice a month with these students and really drills into that SMART plan so that, you know, so that when they say, I want to go to college, they know exactly what the steps are that they're going to have to take. And they've thought about what am I going to do for transportation, for child care, for housing, for food security, whatever those issues are. 
So um, we're going to be putting in place these coaching pods. And another great way for the, to shine a light on the Las Artes program, get our community involved in and really seeing the potential of these kids. And we'll be um, tracking that information both in Charity Tracker um, and, in, and in their um, individual portfolios. Another way that we're doing this is we, uh, through the Vitalist Foundation, fabulous foundation out of Phoenix, um, we launched something called MAMA, Mothers in Arizona Moving Ahead. It's an 18-month pilot project that begins with getting ahead where we are adding in some additional um, health curriculum and then they will move from that into um, what we're calling circles of care that will meet once a month and um, begin again to support those graduates in building out their plan but also in documenting the barriers that they hit and, uh, and we'll be aggregating that barrier information so that we can begin to paint a picture of what gets in the way of uh, people moving out of poverty, in this case young moms. This is a health grant, so it has a specific health focus, and we'll be measuring a couple of things. One is, did we improve the health outcomes for moms and their kids? Did we help them learn to navigate this healthcare system and advocate for themselves better? And can we make changes, identify and make changes to the healthcare system? And one of the ways we'll be identifying that is with a participatory evaluation component that we'll be using um, photo and digital storytelling and a, and a kind of participatory evaluation process. So in the middle of that is a lot of training for healthcare professionals and those volunteers who will be serving in the circles of care. Um, we'll also have student interns helping us manage the data collection and logistics for those circles. So this is getting off the ground. We'll be using six partners. Um, we want to embed this. That's always been our strategy. Uh, the, the county wants to serve as a catalyst and coordinator. We're not an empire builder. So right now we have partnerships with Grace Temple, which is a, a Baptist church that has run about five getting hit classes previously the Tucson Urban League, our community food bank, very excited to get a partnership with them. They've done, they do very innovative work and they understand the need of moving from simply addressing immediate food security issues to a longer term picture. And um, just got online yesterday with the Amity Foundation that runs a beautiful residential program called Dragonfly Village for homeless and low income families. And then we'll be selecting two more partners. I'm hoping our Head Start and, and, a, and a sixth partner. So those are two ways that we are trying to use Getting Ahead as this catalyst for change in individuals' lives and in the community and building that homegrown model that I referenced before. So, you know, so in MAMA, we're really saying there are four leverage points for change, individual behaviors, professional capacity, our resource delivery systems, and health systems and the larger community network and how do we loop all of those into this process. So um, recently I was able to give a presentation to uh, a, a really great um, faith-based initiative coming out of our Catholic diocese. And so I really said I think our, our four tasks, certainly my four tasks in ending poverty now, is um, are these things. How do we um, base our work on building relationships of trust and respect with people in poverty? How do we begin understanding and reducing those barriers? 
How do we commit to systemic change and coordinate our efforts in our community and doing all of this in partnership with people in poverty? Um, I think those are the components, and it's it can be a bit of a um, lots of spinning plates at times, but um, but good things can happen. And I know this is being done across the country in many other Bridges communities as well. Um, so you know, I recently have uh, really begun paying attention to work coming out of something called Ideas 42. Again, I'd be happy to send this report on. They have one called Poverty Interrupted. And they are doing work both nationally and internationally built on principles of behavioral science. You know, how do we not get people to do what we want to do because we think they should do that, but how do we understand what drives people's behaviors and then be able to use that as platforms for effective change? Much of their work really mirrors um, the Bridges work, but with with a with a stronger sort of neuroscience and behavioral science research base to it. Really great stuff. I got to go to one of their workshops um, in September, and so this pulls out of that report. And I use this in almost every presentation because I think this um, puts forward the charge to all of us. So they say, we contend that the burden of change rests primarily with the individuals and organizations who have the power to design programs and systems that, in ways that take uh, universal human tendencies into account. Um, and that's what we're all trying to do, right? Um, I, so I want to just close by coming back to this, to this slide, which to me is the kind of the heart of the work that I'm doing here in Pima County. Um, that's really putting this conversation in an economic development picture and moving from this deficit-based uh, view to an asset-based view. You know, I, I presented once to a group of business people, and um, at that point, it's the same as in Tucson, South Bend, and about 25% of the families living in poverty. And this businessman came up to me and said, you know, if I was wasting 25% of my company's resources, I would be bankrupt. And I think, in essence, um, you know, that is what we do. We are we are not providing pathways for the gifts and talents of people to come forward and and uh, be fully engaged in our communities. Um, so I'm going to open it up for questions. There's my contact information. I'm going to send David um, some of the reports that I mentioned, the Pinellas County one. And I'd be happy to send the chapter of My Ending Poverty Now initiative, the Poverty Interrupted Report, um, and, uh, and anything else that you might be interested in out of this work. So can we open it up for questions? I know um, uh, uh, Quentin is on this call, and um, Quentin is with uh, um, Howard County, I believe, in um, uh, the Baltimore area, and he's doing really great work at a county level. I'm just excited. I don't. There are many, many nonprofits and faith-based groups doing this work across the country, and that is a natural place for this work to start with. But I'm, I'm excited to have it embedded in a government structure, and excited that it's in another county uh, in the country, and hope that we can, you know, bring more um, cities and counties to commit to this work as well question about um, where which Catholic diocese it's here in Tucson um, Bishop Kikanis who is really committed to this work with his staff sister may not be glad to make a connection for you there if you'd like we had over a hundred people at a um, interfaith poverty solutions event um, 
a couple weeks ago. We had Getting Ahead graduates presenting there. Um, and again, if any of you are listening from the St. Vincent de Paul world, I'd be very happy to connect you with our St. Vincent de Paul here, who I'm just really impressed with the work that they're doing. Um, our diocese also has Catholic Community Services. They were the first ones to bring in Getting Ahead in the community, and Pio Decimo does wonderful work, including classes in Spanish. <clears throat> um, you mentioned Charity Tracker briefly, and I see Tom has been kind enough to put a link to Charity Tracker's website. Well, I'll just say, you know, I think Charity Tracker is both um, a really user-friendly, comprehensive database that's very affordable, and um, we're excited to start using it. And I, I, you know, we didn't have some of these tools when we started our work in um, 2004, but but if but I just think that the data collection piece is really important at the individual level, using a good evaluation tool to show the impact of the program itself. And then um, uh, we're creating a, a kind of barrier barrier a tool to collect information on barriers that are hitting people and being able to look at that information as well. And this evaluation tool in the MAMA project we're going to use at the beginning and end of the Getting Ahead class, but then we're going to use it again um, further into the process at least once if not two more times so that we can begin to look at how we can measure some of the impact. And Quentin, I'm going to send the True Connect um, information on the workplace loan. Just a note on this that was developed by um, Doug Ferry and others who were the founders of one of the tax preparation programs. I can't remember which one it was. TurboTax. And so they have figured out a very elegant way to do this. And um, it's just kind of a, a dream come true for us because there's no cost to the employer. Um, they're targeting employers right now that have employees above, I think, two or 300 because I think there's just a volume piece. But they may be willing to talk to people who are smaller employers as well. Um, so it's really, they've just figured out a way to, 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 to pull the trigger quickly on this and get the loan turned around to people very rapidly. And the, you know, and the nice thing is it allows people to um, improve their credit score. You pay the loan back, and you know, you've got a, a way to improve your credit score as well. So I, I just I was really grateful to make the connection with them and excited. Um, Tom asked, was my two, 2004 date in, in, yes, it was in St. Joe County. So I just started in Arizona in 2015, uh, yeah, a year ago. Um, I know what there was a research paper. What did I say I was going to send to you guys? There was one other one. Oh, I know the Pinellas County one. I'll, I'll also send um, the uh, report from Pinellas County that did some of that work on measuring the cost of poverty. And like I said, as we roll that out in our place, I'll be excited to share um, share that with everybody once we figure it out. It's a big one to figure out, I think. Yeah. I mean, just what and just so accessible. Doug Ferry was a really great guy to work with. We're a little stuck in the county in terms of procurement, but we're working it out. It's gonna. I'm confident it will happen. And we also have some really great initiatives happening here. I should mention too that aren't directly in my touch, but there's a um, pay for success program getting launched around homelessness. 
Um, we also have a, a, an employment program focused on homeless people called the Sullivan Jackson Center. They just got a grant to provide job training in the jail so that um, people can get that kind of uh, skills development before they enter back into the community. And we're going to be looking at whether getting out is could be a component of that. Um, the health department is, has done some very innovative things. So, and we just also received a MacArthur grant to look at how we reduce um, uh, the jail stays in our county and particularly looking at that through the lens of, of race. So lots of really innovative things happening around um, the county that are connected to this issue uh, as well. And so it's, it's a great place to be connected and, and working with folks. Let's see, did Pima County come looking for you or did you have a conversation to open the door? So, Ed, I, you know, I used to work for Pima County. I used to live in Tucson for eight years, and then I went back to the Midwest for family reasons, and um, but stayed in touch. And so they were kind of interested in this work, and then in 2014, I think it was, or 13 maybe, they reached out and asked if I would come in and do some trainings, and um, and that was what really launched the whole Ending Poverty Now initiative, and it was so thrilling to to find a county that, you know, really took it to heart what we were saying about the link between poverty and economic development and and why it's a why it should be a real urgency to all our communities. So um so once they had put the Ending Poverty Now chapter together and, and had that approved and it was an opportunity I applied for the position and and was really, you know, love Tucson, so it was really great to come on back. Um where was the prisons? Oh um so there were two grants. There's one through the MacArthur Foundation um, that is doing the work on the jails. And then there's one called LEAP, L-E-A-P. And I just got the information on that. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I think that's a HUD grant. Yeah, it's a Department of Labor. And it is to um, start and operate an American job center inside the jail. Um, and uh, says a planning and then a 15-month implementation period to affect 150 sentenced inmates. So that'll be exciting to get that going. Um, I think we've got most of the questions here, so I want to take a moment uh, and thank Bonnie. That was wonderful. I hope to bring her back. I know you mentioned you had an idea for another webinar during this one, so I'd be happy to have you back if you'd like to. Uh, get a little deeper in some of the things you're doing. There's so much going on. Um, yeah, and I want to thank you, David, and AHA Process for this opportunity. And also just, you know, I'm always inspired by the great work happening all around the country and, you know, glad to, um, to, to, to add to that. So thank you very much. That's great, of course. Uh, until next time, folks, thanks again. Have a good one. Bye. This has been an AHA Process webinar podcast. Visit ahaprocess.com for more. Royalty-free music courtesy of sound.com.